The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? A three-minute video that was really telling people the way that the carbon cycle worked and that the way that we could use agriculture as a, to arguably go from the most destructive system on the planet um, to the industry that could become not just a neutral, carbon neutral industry, but actually could be the, the great redeemer, the one that could actually uh, turn the clocks back and draw that carbon down. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Ryland Engelhart. And before I get into Ryland's background, I want to take a quick minute to tell you guys a story. Most of you are probably like, Alexis, what does recovering from reality have to do with climate change and have to do with healing our planet? And maybe after you hear this story, it will make sense. So it was back in the earlier 2000s and Evan and I had just gotten married. We were little babes (laughs) and Evan was starting Aloe House. Back then it was called Acadia with his co-founders and partners. And about a year into our business, we found this amazing piece of property in Malibu that was on multiple acres of land. And we didn't really have a vision for it at the time, aside from the fact that it was a cool property. It had like an empty pool that some rad skaters from the 70s and 80s used to come and hang out at and skate in. It was overlooking the ocean. And eventually what transpired there was we developed this vision that this property would sustain itself. We would have an organic garden where we would grow our own fruits and vegetables that would sustain the treatment center. And that's a cool idea, right? But it became something that was so much more than that. We ended up teaming up with this amazing nonprofit organization um, with this incredible woman, Susie Landolfi, called Big Heart Ranch. And Big Heart would save animals from all over the world who were either going to be put down or slaughtered. So we would get horses that were blind, donkeys. Um, We ended up having lots of chickens, goats, pigs, bunnies, ducks even. And what ended up transpiring at that location was it became a farm. And you're thinking, okay, cool, Alexis. So you ended up having a rehab that had a farm on it. But it's much, much cooler than that. Because we were in the beginning phases of really understanding what 
Aloe House was. We knew that we weren't a traditional 12-step treatment center. We knew that we didn't care for a punitive approach. We knew that the holistic aspect needed to be there. But what we witnessed naturally and organically on its own was something that was really brilliant. We noticed that when we would get the toughest cases, right? People who had been to treatment, I don't even know how many times. And sometimes it would be, you know, a 25-year-old heroin addict. And sometimes it would be a mega movie star who grew up in a very wealthy family. But what we realized was that when these people got their feet and their hands in the dirt, something changed in them. I get emotional talking about it because the shift was so profound. And what we realized was there is this connection to earth that is so healing. And we realized that it needed to be a part of our, of our way of life there at Aloe, a part of our community. Now, unfortunately, because of climate change, we ended up losing pretty much all of our properties in Malibu due to the Woolsey fire. It was absolutely devastating. And what we took away from that property, which is no longer ours anymore, was that nature is healing. And it's healing, not just the act of being involved in Um, planting and growing your own food, that in itself, sure, is, is healing. But there's something more to it. It's, it's this profound feeling that you get when you're involved in nature to this degree, that like, this is what we are meant to be doing. I often talk on this podcast about how the way that we operate living in these cities, go, go, go all the time, (laughs) you know, it's not sustainable. There is something so magical about watching the cycles of life and being involved with dirt. Not to mention the metaphor, of course, of of early recovery and of life in general, that being in the dirt is where we grow. And so today I'm really grateful to be talking to Ryland. He was the co-founder and executive director of this incredible film, Kiss the Ground. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It has Every major, I feel like every major A-list celebrity in Hollywood was involved in this film. It's on Netflix right now. And it really is, it gets your mind going as we're quickly approaching the sixth greatest mass extinction possibly on this planet. We have to start getting creative. And so this film left me feeling hopeful and inspired that regenerative farming and getting connected back into nature is our way out. 
So Ryland has spent the last 15 years as an entrepreneur um, and a love activist. He has been working in hospitality and building his family business um, of organic plant-based restaurants. If you're in Southern California, you've probably heard of them. And they're two of my favorites, Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre. He is the co-creator of the award-winning transformational documentary film, May I Be Frank?, And he is a husband and father and lives right near me, actually, on a 17-acre regenerative farm in Fillmore, California, where he learns to practice what he preaches. So with that, I am going to let us dive into this episode. I had so many profound takeaways. Ryland has so much knowledge to share, and I hope it leaves you feeling inspired and hopeful for the future. So with that, here's Ryland Engelhart. So I guess my first question to you, Ryland, would be, do you think that there's a correlation between mental health and what's happening in our climate? The more we're disconnected from life, And the more we're disconnected from the web of life that we feel and see and taste and touch when we are, you know, on a hike or weeding our garden or creating a compost bin for the first time and start to see uh, waste becoming soil and life and yeah, we, we plant something and grow something for the first time. And we see that our attention and our energy and our activity can create life, can create beauty, can create growth. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what is happening, but I think that what is happening is we are feeling more connected, which I I could think that many people from many different degrees and vantage points and expertise would say that a lot of our suffering is coming from a feeling of disconnected, uh, that we feel disconnected from nature, from our families, from a higher power, from the grasping for that connection than looks a lot of different ways that are oftentimes destructive. And so, yeah, I I would say that one thing that I've noticed over the years, I've, you know, I've been in the hospitality and restaurant business for the last 15 years, uh, running Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre as a family business uh, that me and my brother came to Los Angeles to open 10 years ago. And you know, in all the sort of amazing things that we've done with our businesses and all the success that we've had in ways, you know, I can think back that some of the moments that were most fulfilling during those periods of time were actually times where I would come home and go into my garden and, you know, be planting something or be, you know, again, creating uh, this compost for the first time of, you know, creating a compost bin and getting to really participate 
in this, you know, what I would call is like a process of regeneration. How do we, how does human life be a catalyst for more life? And the fulfillment that I feel is oftentimes very lacking in a lot of the things that we do, a lot of our activities, a lot of our work, you know, sometimes just feels like moving paper and, you know, kind of moving things around. And then you have these moments which just leave you, leave me with a feeling of connection, fulfillment, the idea that when you're in these natural environments, you know, as you said, you know, your, your patients were, you know, in the garden working on the land, you start to notice signatures of nature or these whispers or these patterns. And you start to see how things are connected and you start to see by this, you know, the, the drip of this, you know, water here, you know, is making all this life happen so much more. And you're noticing, oh, wow, there, there must be uh, a plug here because there's, you know, you don't see life happening here. And you start to notice, oh, wow, I put some compost or some here. And, you know, there's things have grown so much. You know, you start to see, you know, the shade, the wind, all these different aspects of the universe, the nature that is oftentimes the elementals of life that we don't have any recognition for and ultimately leaves us somewhat um, numb to life. Uh, somewhat, you know, we're just, uh, you know, we, we really fulfill the term consumer, you know, just, just consuming life, one big insatiable Pac-Man or woman, yum, 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 yum. And yet there's moments where we have, you know, I, there, there's something so satisfying when you grow a plant and it, it comes to fruit and then being able to feed that fruit or mm -hmm. vegetable to uh, your son or your daughter or your niece or your nephew or your friends and make a dinner from that food and get to revel and relish it. And that all I feel like comes from a sense of being connected to the process of life that had that thing arrive. And it's interesting because we're at, we're in such a time of such convenience where we feel so like we're winning if we've mastered convenience and not to, you know, throw that completely under the bus. Cause by no means am I someone who doesn't appreciate things that are convenient. And, but you know, in this time of convenience, I can see in my own self that there's a lack of the connection of what it took for something to be created. And then there's a lack of appreciation for it. And then, yeah. you know, there's just moments and days and years that go by where we're not connected to anything. And we're just, as we said, consuming life. And yet there's no connection. And in turn, there's lots of room for mental and emotional degeneration and a deep feeling of uh, suffering, lack, and, and depression. And so, mm. yeah, I, I think that there's something so, you know, beautiful. I, I can't remember where I read this, but there was sort of a story that was speaking to, you know, earth-based indigenous cultures of the past where uh, people who had been 
maybe at war would come home and there'd be a a stint of time, you know, where cultivation and and, uh, tending to life, gardening, propagating seeds, cultivating food um, to really balance, you know, this, I, I think a lot of our, our lives are, you know, this experience of being at war of competition and, and trying to make it. And so this idea of being able to come back to a garden, come back to nature and to participate in the cultivation of life is very healthy healing and good for our, our mental wellness. This episode is sponsored by Nourish by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish offers a monthly subscription service that is both convenient and customizable to make sure you're getting the proper vitamin intake. Backed by 45 years of science, Nourish removes the guesswork from you trying to figure out what supplements are right for you. Nourish packages are personalized and delivered right to your door. Their convenient subscription service can be adjusted, paused, or canceled at any time. Packs are customized to your needs and are affordable. On average, it costs less than $2 a day to get your Nourish vitamin intake. Visit Nourish.com and take a five-minute assessment to receive a supplement recommendation tailored specifically for you. Hi, I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. We're the co-hosts of a podcast called A Thing or Two. It comes out every Monday and the basic premise is this. We share all the stuff we think more people should know about. So that's apps, recipes, books, the nationwide haagen vanilla bean shortage that nobody else was talking about. Our no pref- one. No one. <laughs> Our preferred vacuum brands of which we have multiples and critical explorations of our unique approaches to paper towel usage. Listen, we think you're going to like it. A lot of people do. And who's to say you'll be any different? Listen and subscribe wherever it is you listen and subscribe to podcasts. When I got sober, I quickly realized that the thing that was keeping me going was connection. And in the beginning, it was connection to other people. But the one thing that I love about connecting to nature is that she's always just perfect. Like when we connect to other people, there's always variables, right? Like someone's had a bad day or someone can't really be there for you or what they said truly wasn't helpful and actually maybe even harmful. And there's all of these variants and and human connection is so important. But I feel like mother nature is just always You know, when I go outside and it's a sunny day and I feel the sun on my face, it's always perfect. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's this energy that's so necessary to our physical bodies. And I feel like even in my children, I see it where when I was a kid, I was outdoors all the time. And now with technology and just how fast paced the world is, it's like, my kids aren't outside as much as I would like them to be. And one of the gifts kind of of quarantine is that they've been outside a lot more. (laughs) And um, so that's a good thing. One of the things that I really loved about Kiss the Ground was that it really laid out the picture, but it left you feeling inspired. And I want people to walk away from this podcast feeling inspired and like they can be a part of the solution. But before we can do that, we first need to give a really clear picture of what's going on. We've seen in the news, these crazy hurricanes, massive fires. I mean, all of California. Are you in California? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I'm a California native. I grew up out here when I was a kid. 
um, here in Southern California. We'd have a fire maybe every six or seven years and it was cool. It's kind of like a snow day at school. And now what I'm seeing is fires every single year and they're lasting for longer and longer and longer periods of time. And so, you know, we know, we know that our climate is dying. We know that water level rises are rising, that ice is melting, that we're having these huge storms. What I loved about Kiss the Ground is that I learned so much. So what I was really struck by was how little topsoil we actually have left. In the movie, and I looked this up and um, I believe it was either Stanford or Harvard who did this research. We currently are down to about two thirds remaining topsoil and about 60 years of crops left before all of that soil is unusable. They said in the study that it's decreasing by about 1% each year. And yeah, so I, I guess when I thought climate change, I didn't, my mind didn't go to soil. So I did, I learned so much, you know, when we talk about climate change, I often think about switching to electric vehicles and no more fracking, but soil really is the solution. So can you explain to the listeners why soil matters and how we can use soil to help pull the CO2 out of the atmosphere and help to heal our planet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's really the, the film is the, it hopes to be the message that really can clearly articulate that soil is this incredible, incredible sink covered storage shed for carbon and that carbon is not a bad guy it's not an enemy it's simply it's an imbalance that we've burned all these fossil fuels releasing this carbon um, among other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and bringing us to you know putting uh, an equivalent, I think, 415, 415 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. That's creating uh, this heating effect. And the problem is not just like, you know, we hear like, oh, one degree, one and a half degrees is what we need to, you know, I believe that we've, we've pretty much had the same stable climate for 10,000 years, or maybe it's even a lot longer than that. But Basically, one degree or two degrees is, you know, what that, what the, what the, the effect of that is. So, I mean, it, it's literally our body is keeping homeostasis. So our body can't get. That's why, like, if you have a fever and you get, like, you know, you know, into the hundreds, you know, the body has only a very small capacity to range in its being heated up. And so the planet is like that too. There's all these systems that will have a domino effect of collapse. And so when I kind of came to this um, some eight years ago, you know, what was being presented was that, you know, we have this problem of too much carbon in our atmosphere. You know, we're all racing for a sustainable future. 
and we're all racing to, you know, make our energy green and renewable and we need to reduce our emissions. And all this sounded like, yes, like we, we need to do that. But I didn't understand, like, if we already have 415 parts per million and, you know, the balance is at 350 parts per million and we're in no way about to transition our power sector, you know, to all renewables, how, you know, what hope do we have? And it, it looked very dire. It looked hopeless. And then the other factor, which was that the ocean has really been saving our ass for a long time because the ocean's been absorbing a lot of that excess CO2 that we've been releasing and the oceans have been becoming more acidic. The, the carbon in the atmosphere drifts into the oceans that alchemically creates carbonic acid, um, which creates uh, an acidic and warming effect of the, the water. And that effect, the, the primary breakdown is that most small creatures in the ocean are made from calcium carbonate shells or they have an exoskeleton like phytoplankton. And if those phytoplankton are in an acidic condition, they can't form their shells. And in turn, phytoplankton flatlines and the basis of life in the ocean flatlines and everything starts to, you know, die from there. So it's, 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 it's intense, it's dire, and that we've already lost one third of the phytoplankton and we're continuing to pump, you know, millions and millions of tons of, you know, carbon into the atmosphere and the ocean saturated, it can't take anymore. It's creating this collapse. So the question becomes like, what's the options? What's the, what's the place that we could uh, put that carbon? And, you know, that became the aha was like, oh my God, soil. And, and we've, we've always known about trees, reforestation, you know, planting trees, trees um, can lock up carbon in there as they grow, they become the stick of carbon. But the kind of new revelation is that a lot of our land is grassland or agricultural land. And could we work with that land in a way where we would be drawing carbon down out of the atmosphere and being able to keep that carbon in the soil? And by doing that, we could actually heal our soils, produce a better environment where water could infiltrate creating a, a better environment for biological life, which means more nutritious food. So it just became this kind of aha moment of, oh my God, you're telling me that we can solve the climate crisis by putting the problem of carbon in the atmosphere and making it a solution in our soil and that everyone who eats can participate in that revolution or in that movement. It was like, wow, that is compelling. That is, I, I get that. that. That's like, and so that was kind of, you know, that was my first aha moment, which was in New Zealand uh, some seven, eight years ago. And that I came back to Los Angeles where I was running restaurants. I started gathering my friends and colleagues and anybody who would listen in my living room for a working group uh, for a year on Mondays. We just started creating this kind of working group of how we were going to catalyze and awaken the message of regeneration to the general public. And, you know, we were 
you know, being that we lived in Los Angeles, knowing that Los Angeles is the media capital of the world and oftentimes a cultural leader in, you know, what is being done here oftentimes becomes broadcasted other places. We saw the opportunity of having that message of the soil story. And that's actually the first piece of media that we created some seven years ago, which was a three minute video that was really telling people the way that the carbon cycle worked and that the way that we could use agriculture to arguably go from the most destructive system on the planet um, to the industry that could become not just a neutral, carbon neutral industry, but actually could be the the great redeemer, the one that could actually uh, turn the clocks back and draw that carbon down. And so, you know, that's really been the, the mission and the goal of the nonprofit that I started, co-founded with two good friends of mine, uh, Finney and Makepeace and Lauren Tucker, some seven years ago. And the film is a culmination expression of that mission, which we're you know excited about that it's now in 40 countries and 25 languages all around the world. Uh, having this awareness that there is a solution, that there is a way that we can take a lot of that legacy load of carbon that we've released in the atmosphere and that we have a place that we can put it. And by putting it in the soil, it's actually beneficial and creating balance. So it's compelling, it's hopeful. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that the world is at a, at a larger scale is waking up to this solution. Today's episode was brought to you by Osea Malibu, the original plant-based results-driven skincare line. Osea puts your health and the health of our planet first with their potent skincare and body care solutions that are pure, safe, and effective. Their skin-nourishing products are made entirely out of plant-derived ingredients and are non-toxic and a good choice for moms-to-be. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. Their entire line is built on these four pillars and pulls from botanical sources around the world to create products that are truly effective. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral rich bioavailable base. Founded and run by a family of women inspired by the sea, Osea formulates botanical powered products that have shown proven results for all skin concerns. Y'all know that I'm a huge fan of this line. I've been using it for years. Recently, I've been using their Vegas Nerve Pillow Mist and my room literally smells like a spa when I go to bed. I'm a huge fan of this entire line. I use their Undaria Argan Oil. I love their Blemish Balm, all of their toners. The entire line is amazing. Right now, you can go to ocmalibu.com forward slash Alexis Haynes for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more. Free shipping for U.S. orders over $75 and free samples with every order. That is oseamalibu.com forward slash Alexis Haynes for $10 off your first purchase of $50 or more. You know, it's funny because in this conversation, there's a lot of passionate people and some people are like, you have to go all vegan. And some people are like, no, regenerative ag and you can eat paleo and it's fine. And you have, and what I like about the movie is that it was really balanced and it kind of just like pulled out from all of that because, you know, if the oceans die, we die. If we only have 60 crops left, we're screwed. 
And so what the movie really focuses on is this movement towards regenerative agriculture. And I'm not going to explain this very well, so I'm going to let you do it. But (laughs) I would love for you to give like a little breakdown of like what agriculture currently looks like in the U.S., which, you know, we produce so much corn and soy and wheat and why it's not helping us, how it could help us. And then at the end, if you wouldn't mind, you know, two things. One, assuming that we have a new president, we have a current president who denies climate change is even real. We're hoping for a new president, if you're in this movement with us, um, for someone who's going to go out there and help us fight this. What would you like to see from that administration or from any administration? I guess I would pose that um, in case you don't agree with my previous statement. And then also, you know, 40% of revenues from farmers comes from subsidies. Like, could the government somehow encourage farmers and support them in making the switch to regenerative agriculture? There's my long question. Go. (laughs) That's like an Uh, eight-parter. I'm sorry. So (laughs) I think the first piece was that, yeah, the, the current state of our agriculture is coming you know, from the paradigm of the green revolution that agriculture became highly mechanized and we separated people who grow crops, row crops, and people who who tend to animals. And we separated those two things. And when you do that, you essentially break the cycle that has had nature work, which is animals on land, creating, moving on around on that land, create a cultivation of fertility. Um, and what I mean by that specifically is that the, the greatest soils on the planet are, have been cultivated through the partnership of grasses and grazing animals, grazing over those lands, whether it's in Africa or the Great Plains of this country, that's the way that the greatest soils on the planet have been created is, is grazing herbivores and grasses and a rotation of those animals moving over that landscape um, year after year after year. And that has had the ability to cultivate some of the largest uh, storage sheds of healthy soil. Modern day agriculture has been mining that soil. And, and what I mean by that is just growing one monocrop, oftentimes corn, soy, wheat, hay, and essentially growing, you know, one or two crops on a piece of land. And there is no biodiversity in that. And in turn, when we mechanically set up nature to just produce one plant, the ecosystem underneath that growing of that plant weakens. It's like eating, you know, one malnourishing food. You know, we wouldn't, our immune system, our microbiome, our, all of our systems that depend on nutritional inputs would start to fade and um, degrade. And so, you know, we've, we've known this or, or it, it's, it's been known for a long time that 
if you, and you know, there's been many great civilizations, 20 civilizations that was quoted in the film that the civilization has eroded and, and vanished because the civilization grew too fast and was not able to maintain soil health, which leads to plant health, which leads to nutrition health, which leads to human health, which leads to cultural and civilization health. So if we break the soil, we break the, the culture, the civilization. We're now doing that at a global scale with you know, momentous infrastructure to grow millions of acres just with one crop, high chemical inputs, chemical fertilizers, then we're you know, protecting those, those crops because it's a weak system. Then we need, to up, we need to protect those crops from pests, from nature. Nature doesn't want something weak in its system. If there's something weak in the system, pathogens, bugs, bacteria will come and kind of take that down. So we're creating a weak system at a biological level, and then we're propping it up with all these synthetic inputs, and then we're protecting it from being naturally taken down. And ultimately, it has this degenerative degrading effect on the whole ecosystem. And then those become the nutrients in which we're building our life on, which in turn leads to all the degenerative kinds of health effects that we're seeing within human health, whether it's, you know, infertility and, you know, one out of four or five women, the insane amount of, you know, degenerative diseases that we're, that we're seeing are, I believe, coming from this, we're, we're destroying the biology, which is the nutritional foundation architecture for human health. And as we've destroying that at a, at a, at a biological an ecological level within our food system, you know, our bodies are receiving the chronic stress of always being inundated with, you know, those chemical residues, um, with those nutritionally insufficient foods. And in turn, you know, the body is not, is, is not maintaining health. And so, you know, we're, you know, I think Theodore Roosevelt said, a nation that destroys their soil destroys themselves. And so, you know, we are at a global scale, just our agricultural system is an insufficient system. And even though it's justified to the nines that it's feeding the world, by doing that, it's destroying life. It's, it's, it's sending us into what could, someone could say is the sixth mass extinction. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we are, is that we are, we're growing a few crops, mostly to create food for animals, cows, so that they can be in feedlots, uh, so that we can have really cheap meat and dairy. And in turn, you know, the number one source of antibiotics being used on the planet is going into those feedlot animals to keep them, you know, from not being so sick that they, we can still sell them and still sell that meat. You know, it's just a, it's this house of cards that is being propped up, you know, subsidies and, you know, mindset and, you know, chemical companies, big. And again, I don't, I don't believe that anybody is viciously wrong or, but it's, it's simply just, it's cognitive dissidence 
that we've made a choice a couple hundred years ago of this is the way, this is the future. And we're now reframing our choice that to, to maintain a rightness and to maintain a, no, this is the right way, where what we need to do is humbly acknowledge our, our mistake, acknowledge that what we did when we, you know, I say we, when, when um, Europeans colonized and conquered this country and we essentially, for the most part, killed the majority of the native people here and it saw that their, the way that they were tending and living in relationship to the land was somehow primitive. Now, recognizing that regenerative agriculture really is the essence of what their lived experience and their knowledge mm. of land management was. And it really is like this big paradigm shift. And even for, for me, um, around this idea of conservation is this idea, which is still kind of this colonial mindset of like, to save something, we have to be away from it. Humans are a problem. We have to be away from the land for it to be okay. Versus we need to be integrated, have a relationship with the land, a relationship with our role in the land, on the land, with the land, and that in that relationship that we can be helpful. And that goes back to that, that subtle relationship that we spoke about in the beginning, which is like, oh, like, oh, what a great feeling of life when I'm tending to life, I'm contributing to this um, web of nature, and then I have a beneficial role to play. And that role, I actually get to eat from and I get to experience the beauty of, I get to taste, I get to receive the nutrition from, I then get to have a deep experience of reverence and appreciation for those things that died that had that became my life. You know, that's a that's a whole different and you know, and that again it it brings into this conversation, which is, you know, a conversation that uh, you know I'm navigating based on the the film really, you know, had a lot of great elements, but still one of the, the, the missing pieces was really this deep acknowledgement and um, a deep communication around the narrative that regenerative agriculture at its origin, essence, principles, practice has come from indigenous earth-connected cultures that have existed all around the world. That's really a spiritual practice. In a lot of What's ways. That? It's really a spiritual practice in a lot of ways. Yes. It's yeah. it, it absolutely it's it's definitely beyond just a mechanical method and a worldview and a yeah, a, a a perspective that has us really get that we are interconnected, interbeing with this system, this this ecological web that is here and that we can play a role in it and by playing a role in it we can not only heal ourselves but we also can heal the planet at some of the biggest ways that we feel collectively as a culture very hopeless about This episode of the Recovering from Reality podcast is sponsored by Himalaya Ashwagandha Stress anxiety worry pressures at home at work 
kids. There's so much that causes stress and anxiety these days, and we're all looking for a natural way to take the edge off and protect our bodies and minds against it. Himalaya ashwagandha helps me to navigate through my daily stress and anxiety. Now, what is ashwagandha you're thinking? The simple answer is ashwagandha is an herb and ancient times ashwagandha was considered the king of Ayurvedic herbs and it was used for a wide variety of conditions. In functional medicine today, we harness the power of ashwagandha primarily to help our bodies adapt to the stress of modern day life so we can feel calm and balanced. I actually was recommended ashwagandha years ago by my general practitioner and I use it on a pretty regular basis, especially during 2020. It has been a very stressful year. Himalaya ashwagandha is organic, non-GMO, contains no binders or fillers, and is clinically studied for safety and efficacy. Stress less and find calm with Himalaya ashwagandha. The best part, get 20% off your purchase on Amazon with discount code REALITY20. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode's sponsorship with Himalaya. So do you think that the government should play a role in encouraging, I don't know what the right word would would be, farmers to switch to regenerative ag? Or do you think that through just education alone, they will make the shift? Yeah, it's got to be all, I think it's, it's yes. And it's, you know, the government and government programs that, you know, the speed at which the government moves and uh, the bureaucracy and the, the, the challenges that can, I, I think like, do I have hope that the farm bill in 2023 or 2024 really adopts regenerative agriculture? Absolutely. makes, you know, huge efforts for, um, for incentivizing, uh, you know, one of the ideas it's still early phase of developing a campaign, you know, would be to, get, you know, X amount of million signatures, um, making specific demands on the farm bill to include, you know, these incentives around regenerative agriculture. So absolutely. I think, I think it's, it, we absolutely need to be working and kiss the ground as an organization. We actually do have a, uh, soil policy map and website that you can find on kissetheground.com. Uh, find your path. If you go to uh, policy, you put in, because we, we have this beautiful tool called the Find Your Path tool, which is essentially anyone who's inspired about regeneration, the soil health movement, the regenerative agriculture movement as a, as a way to really, you know, do something that's actually feasible to make a difference. You can type in your interest and who you are and what you do in life, and it kicks you back in this, you know, kind of wizard survey three or five actions that you could take. And the soil policy map is one of those actions that you can take, which essentially tells you what policies are happening right now around soil health. Uh, also, you know, what local policy heads could you write a letter to and what, what would you want to, you know, it's kind of set up to where you can easily send encouraging communications around uh, the soil health movement to have this because Really, it's been used so many times, that Margaret Mead quote that's like, you know, the, the only people that, who said a small group of committed people can't change the world? In fact, it's the only thing that ever has, you know, Margaret Mead. You know, when we use our voice 
uh, it's powerful. If, if, you know, we, we show up and we are a dedicated advocate and we use our voice in communicating something and we refine how we communicate that message, you know, we, we can move mountains. So one of the things that Kiss the Ground has really been aimed at is creating, you know, this powerful cavalry of soil advocates. And so we actually created a course, which I'd, I'd love you to do. I'd happily send it to you. It's uh, basically an eight-hour course. It's eight, eight, broken into sec- sections, um, but it's an eight-hour course called the Soil Advocacy Training. And you come out the other end of it like a powerhouse communicator around all that you need to know about soil health, regenerative agriculture, the water cycle, the carbon cycle, the nutrient cycle, you know, all these kind of things that it becomes in your bones of you get this mm-hmm. message and so that you can uh, be the voice for your, your unique audience around this message. So we encourage everyone to become a soil advocate. I think we have probably 3,500 yeah, 3, uh, soil advocates uh, that have, are, are in or have gone through our program in the last year and a half in 30 countries around the world. And so mm-hmm. the goal is to get to 25,000 advocates. And then we have a goal of training 5,000 farmers through our farmland transition program in the next five years, which is another thing that if, you know, people who are listening want to help really, you know, five, 10, 15, a hundred dollars, you can put into what is, we're called our um, kiss the ground impact fund. And a big part of that fund is funding farmers, giving farmers the technical training, the mentorship and the soil testing to help them go down their path of making this transition to regenerative agriculture. Uh, I mean, if you go to Kiss the Ground, there's just so many resources. Like we have uh, a partnership map that has regenerative farms. If you wanted to find, you know, let's say you buy some specific thing a lot of in your groceries and you wanted to find that thing in a regenerative way, you could find a farm to buy direct from and start having that be, you know, your one action that you take. I'm going to support by purchasing this food from this, this farmer, this supplier, because I know what they're doing is taking care of soil health and that's helping sequester carbon. And I know that that's having a beneficial effect that actually is going beyond sustainability. It's actually, I'm participating in a small way towards the regeneration of our planet. Mm, I love that. So there are so many ways that we all can take some small steps or if you feel motivated, some big steps towards helping. I know that in my family, we've really moved towards sustainability and I will absolutely look up where regenerative farms are in my area and do my best to get out there. I'm sure in my local farmer's markets, there has to be some out here in Calabasas that are doing that or in the area. So I will, I will look that up. And the other thing is like eating seasonably, like all of these things matter and help to bring down those CO2 emissions. So I'd like to wrap it up with this because I want to let people walk away feeling good. Best case scenario, if we start moving towards regenerative agriculture and we all start focusing on living a little bit more sustainably or hopefully a lot more, is it possible to stop putting so much carbon out there and hopefully to get back down to what was the number you said? 350? 350 parts per million. Parts per million. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of debate 
around the science and the potential of soils, um, carbon storage capacity. And the kind of the thing that I want to leave people with is that, you know, this is the, this is what has to happen. It will happen without humanity or with humanity, you know, regenerate nature's design is regeneration. You know, there's been many extinction moments on the planet where whether volcano eruptions or a comet hitting the planet or, you know, uh, these different cat, you know, huge events were created, you know, a total death of maybe 90% of all the species on the planet and photosynthesizing plants, trees and grasses have been the thing that have brought that imbalance back into balance. Yeah. So it is, it is what we need to do. And, you know, it does work and the co-benefits are, you know, carbon is just one metric. We're talking about water. We're talking about resilience. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about farmer prosperity. We're talking about, um, you know, the reduction of the chemicals that are being leached into our waterways. You know, it's, it, it is, from my view, you know, the single most proactive approach to a, a whole system healing. And so, you know, really the opportunity to see our plates being our sort of the magic ball of like, what will our future be? What we put on our plates will be what will create the future of our world. And that our plate really is the map to get us to a future of degeneration or regeneration. And so, you know, start, start small and practical. And, you know, again, Kiss the Ground has spent seven years creating, you know, a purchasing guide. So you can have, a, you know, a purchasing guide to how to, how to, how to shop for soil health. You know, we have curriculum for young sixth grade students around, you know, how to create project-based learning around soil health. We've created, you know, all these short, 60 short films that are all about telling stories of people doing uh, regeneration. And so really the opportunity is to, you know, watch the film, go to Kiss the Ground, find your path, find a couple small actions to integrate into your life and really be, you know, if, if you're up for being the voice and inspiring a generation to get that we can actually be a helpful co-inhabitant and a participant in nature and starting to do little things that, you know, that, that we can actually, you know, whether it's, you know, buying from farmers who are doing this, whether it's, you know, setting up your own a little compost so you're you're taking your waste instead of turning that into methane gas by putting it into the landfill you're composting creating your own compost which is essentially taking nature out of nature and then stewarding it back into nature whether it's you know you get lit up about policy and you're you know starting to get connected to what are some of the initiatives that are supporting soil health at a local or national level you know starting to use your voice there whether it's, you know, you're a, a social media influencer and you start, you know, using 
this narrative as part of the narrative that you want to be communicating to your audiences. Uh, you know, we all have different roles to play in an ecosystem. That is, you know, the kind of the relational world of an ecosystem is that there's all these different roles to play. And, you know, do we want to play some role in this process of regeneration? And I think that is a compelling and hopeful offer and invitation for everyone, you know, and I just want to acknowledge that the, you know, that this is an invitation that has been, you know, since, since the genocide of many indigenous cultures, you know, the invitation to include their voice to what is going to be the way forward. And, you know, that indigenous perspective and that worldview of an integrated effective, helpful relationship inside of a natural living ecosystem is, you know, what this whole regenerative movement is based upon. And so I just want to pay homage to that lineage and that history and acknowledge that it is important. And, you know, I'm personally learning and, you know, looking at kiss the ground in an honest way of like, okay, how do we elevate and bring those voices more into the work and the platforms and the communications and the, the content that we're creating because we haven't done uh, a good enough job representing that origin, original instructions has come from those communities and cultures. And so, but I, I think that there is real hope and real opportunity with the regenerative movement. And I'm grateful that the film is out and I'm grateful that people are, are, are starting to wake up that there is a really amazing solution and it's proactive and that everyone can participate in their own little way. I love that. Well, thank you so much. If you guys are interested, you can go watch the film on Netflix right now, Kiss the Ground. I highly suggest it. You can visit them at kissetheground.com and follow along on Instagram too. They have a beautiful Instagram feed with amazing videos that just leave you feeling really inspired. I watched several of them today and that's just at Kiss the Ground. So thank you so much, Rylan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alexis. It's been an honor. This week's affirmation is, I am here to do great things. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 